great. Good afternoon. I'm very, very excited to have Steve Kavanagh with me today. Hi, Steve. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Donna. It's uh, lovely to be here. I'm Steve Kavanagh. I write uh, thrillers, the Eddie Flynn series and the occasional standalone. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? No, I don't think so. Um, I always like stories, you know. Um, being Irish, there's always lots of people telling stories, you know, my grandfather and my dad and their friends and stuff. There's always lots of stories around. So I love listening to stories and then I love reading. And um, as I got older, sort of into my teens, I would sort of imagine, God, it'd be great to write a book. But I thought, well, people like me don't write books. I grew up in a working class family in Belfast. Um, so it was just, that's just beyond people, you know who go to Oxford and Cambridge and stuff and who have got degrees and do all this. They write books. So it never occurred to me when I was getting later on, I thought, well, I got big into movies as well then. And I thought, well, maybe I could write a screenplay because that's like a hundred pages. I could maybe do that. And I wrote a couple of screenplays, got an agent, but never got anything sold. So I thought this is a lot of work and what am I doing? Well, why would anyone, you know, I'm from, from Ireland, why would anyone read my screenplay? And you're just some, uh, this is so foolish. So I gave up and I didn't write anything for about 15 years. And then um, by 2011, my mum passed away quite suddenly. And uh, it took me a while to process all of that, but she was the only person who ever encouraged me to write. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a go at this. So about a year or so after that, I started writing and uh, it took me uh, a while, but I eventually wrote my, my first book, the first Eddie Flynn, The Defence, and got then lots of rejections, tons of rejections for that. Eventually got an agent and got a publishing deal, and that was me started on this path. When you wrote the first book, did you know that you were going to write it into a series? Yeah, I always loved writing series. That's what I wanted to do, put it like that. Um, but it it was uh, very, it, in a way, it was a foolish sort of a thing to do, I think, because I couldn't, if no one was going to buy the first book, well, second book's not, you know, there's no point writing the second book, but I wanted to write a series. And it was sold on the basis of it was going to be a series. And when I eventually got an agent, I started writing the next one. Um so it was, yeah, that was something that I always wanted to do because it was what I loved to read, loved series. I like standalones as well, but series, if you get a character that you like, then you want to spend time with that character every year in a new adventure. And that's what I wanted to do. If you were able to take any of your characters out for a meal, who would you choose and what would you ask them? Characters out for a meal? God. Um <laughs> That would be that would be tricky. Maybe Harry Ford because he'd be full of stories. Harry Ford is an ex-judge um, and friend and mentor to Eddie Flynn. And Harry, you know, was um, uh, he's he's an older gentleman. And I'm never specific about his age, but he, you know, he's, he's up there because he was a very very young illegal um, joinee to the U.S. Army for Vietnam. Um, so he joined underage, uh, which gives me a bit of leeway, and I've never seen his exact age. Um, but uh, he would be full of great stories. And I, I, 
I've, I've got some brilliant stuff from researching what Harry would have experienced in different things. So for example, um, and this is something I didn't know, uh, C4 explosive. You see in movies, people have this plastic explosive, you know, doing stuff and they're all very, you know, it could be quite volatile, this thing. Apparently it's really difficult to explode C4. And in Vietnam, they, they, a lot of the soldiers, the tunnel rats, they use that for their fires to get their fire going. If they were out in, in the bush and they could light a fire, it burns great and it doesn't explode. Even when you set the thing in fire, it doesn't explode. You have to actually cause a mini explosion for it to explode. So I didn't know that, that people were burning plastic explosive to cook their sausages or whatever it was when they were right there. Probably not sausages, but you know what I mean. So you pick up little bits and things like that in research and you think, oh, that's that's interesting. I, I must put that in the book. And I try to fit these wee things in. Because I like stories. I like knowing things that I didn't know before. <laughs> um, if you were to be picked up and transported into any of your books, which would you choose? Oh, dear me. Um, but not a lot of good things happen in my books. They're all very... It's all very tense and there's lots of difficult things happening. Um, maybe Twisted, because Twisted takes place in a lovely little uh, town called Port Lonely. Um, it's a fictional town. And there's sort of half locals who live there all year round and then there's sort of rich people that come in with the country clubs in the summertime. And that might be a nice place to stay. And there's a fictional author in that book called J.T. LeBeau, who's written lots of great books apparently but I didn't write any of those books. So it'd be nice to be able to be in that world and be able to read them. That's a good choice, actually. I like that. <laughs> um, if you were to fictionally murder someone, how would you do it? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> you'd have to be able to do it and get away with it, wouldn't you, really? I don't, well, I wouldn't murder anybody. Um, of course, yeah, but, fictionally. But fictionally, if I was going to murder someone, I don't know. There's lots of poisons. I know there's lots of writers that know lots of things about poisons, but there are various poisons that leave no trace uh, or very little trace, and you're not there for it. So I don't know. Um, maybe if you could strategically poison a, a bottle of white wine and leave it, you know, outside the cabinet office in number 10, uh, <laughs> maybe somebody might drink that. You never know. So there you go. And if you were fictionally murdered, who would you want to investigate it? Oh, who would I want investigating me? Jack Reacher. Uh, immediately, because for a very specific reason. Jack Reacher, I, I love the Reacher novels. Um, and I'm a huge fan and, and, and an admirer of, of Lee Child, who's, a, who's a, been a, a very good friend to me over the years. And... Um, the way Reacher, someone once said, Jack Reacher is the world's worst detective because he commits more homicides than he solves. And I think that's perfect because, you know, if you have someone like Harry Bosch or Charlie Parker, if they find the bad guy, the bad guy will be arrested uh, and taken away off. Whereas Jack Reacher just shoots everybody in the head. It's much more efficient. So I think I would, I would like Reacher then to investigate it. He would sort me out. And he does disappear off into another town. Probably then he goes away, goes. He goes to help somebody else. Perfect. Yeah, and kill another couple. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, I have to ask you about the tagline for 13. Who came up with that? Me. Awesome. That was my outline for the book. I just, I don't plot anything, right? So um, that was me. It was, what if you had a serial killer who was on a jury? Um, what, what, well, why, why are they there? And why do they want to get on with that jury? How would they do it? And what's the overall scheme here? And that was my, my outline for the book. So, and it was a good premise. So I, I thought that's great. Well, and I just was just finding the form of words then to put on the cover. Because at that stage, I'd written three books and they hadn't sold anything really. Um, the first book, The Defense, was good. All of, all of my books have been nominated for awards. I've always got really good reviews, but the first three ones didn't sell anything. And uh, I was trying to get the combination right for the readers, I suppose. And with 13, I thought, we well, need to write a book that if you see that book on a shelf, you have to pick it up. And the tagline, uh, I think, really helped with that. So, and then I've come back and every book has had a tagline since and something which with a hook because they all have that. It was just that I wasn't getting them, you know, on the covers. Uh, so, um, yeah, 13 was a book that sort of changed my, my career big time. And I'm very proud of, of, of that book. And I'm glad that I was able to get the tagline on the cover. Yeah, that yours is, if anyone ever wants to um, get a tagline that hooks you, then yours is always the one that I would recommend because that is just impossible to resist. <laughs> like, I need to read this. Okay, thank you very much. That's the plan. <laughs> I think I'd read the three before anyway, but um, I can't remember. I read so many, it's blurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I totally forgot I was going to ask you now as well. Oh, um, since you started writing, what's been harder than you expected and what's been easier? Oh, God. Um, what has been harder than I expected? It's always very hard, I think. I think it, it gets harder uh, as you go along, I think. Um, uh, because you've written something and you, you want the next book to be better. So there's various ways to do that. Um, your quality of your idea, I think, is big, and it's harder to get new ideas, and it's more difficult um, to write a better book each time. There's much more work involved. Um, plus, I'm trying to be a better writer in every respect, nuts and bolts. So I'm always reading books on writing and watching videos and things. So that's all. I thought, you know, once you got the hang of this, it would get easier, you know. Um, but no, not at all. It, it just it always gets harder. So that's harder. What has been easier than I hadn't expected? Um, I don't know. It, it, it all seems so much harder, I, I, I think. <laughs> That's, that's that's the big thing for me. It all seems so much harder. Um, do you hide secret jokes or messages in your books? Um, <clears throat> no, I don't really. There are occasions. I mean, my all my books are written so they work as standalones. So you can pick up any one in the series or you know all the standalone, and you don't have to write anything beforehand. You'll be able to get the characters in the situation and away we go. But there are occasional little nods back to previous books, which you wouldn't miss and doesn't affect the quality of the book. Um, so there's no hidden messages 
there are, you know, um, uh, what I do do is I, I usually have in the Eddie Flynn books anyway, a, a forensics um, expert or so-called expert that Eddie will, will tear apart because forensic science and, and you'll know this yourself, there's forensic science and then there's um, people who pretend to have forensic science um, uh, backgrounds who testify in court as supposed experts on equal fields. And there's a lot of these disciplines which are not science-based at all and which have sent various people to, to prison and, uh, you know, for, for many, many years. And it's not something that I think the public is hugely aware of. I think they should be more aware of. So I try and, and look at a discipline or something and tell people what it is and how it really works or how it's not right. And um, those sections of the books are always fun to write. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's completely destroyed the last five years of my life. That's fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. I'll, I'll write a book and destroy the criminal justice system. That's fine. Should, I do that too, I have to say. <laughs> That's the whole part, that's the whole point of it. Yeah, it is pretty, um, yeah. We learned a little bit about it as well. Um, when you're editing your books, what's your most overused word or phrase? Um, it's lots of people looking at each other. <coughs> Excuse me, that's a postman. <laughs> My dogs don't like the postman. Um, so there's uh, lots of people looking at each other, looking at him and looking at her and looking at this. And then there's lots of people <laughs> nodding sagely away. So nodding and looking at things is, is, one of the, is one of the big. Because I often think that's, I try to write visually and sometimes you can say more in a look or if it's someone looking at someone in a certain way, it can change the, the, what they say and the dialogue and the meaning of it. So, but I do too much of that. I have to stop looking at everybody. Right, yeah, could get a bit creepy actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you made lots of author friends since you started writing? Yes, you know, um, that's, that's a big part of, of this and something I wasn't expecting. So, yeah, I have. And, you know, I mentioned Lee Child earlier. I've been very genuinely surprised by the, the generosity uh, of lots of writers, you know. It's not just Lee, there's, there's likes of Michael Connolly and Don Winslow, especially, um, Steve Hamilton, Adrian McKinty, who have warrior well established, you know, writers, and some of them are household names, and uh, they've been incredibly supportive. So uh, that's been that's been brilliant. And do you get a lot of feedback from readers? I do. I get lots of Twitter stuff on Twitter and Instagram, which is great, and people send me and they. Uh, like the book, and I always try and respond to them uh, if I can. Uh, I sometimes I miss the occasional one, but I try and respond to everyone because someone's read your book and I've enjoyed it. Well, that's great. Um, I really like that. And I've started in the last few books as well in the acknowledgements. Um, I always try and acknowledge the readers, someone who's sat and read that book, uh, because I think that's hugely important if 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 you're not reading that, I don't have a job. So I want to thank you for, for reading it. And I really, really mean that. Um, have you ever had any weird or strange feedback from readers? Um, <clears throat> uh, some of it has been 
has been, most of it, 99% of it has been brilliant and been fine. Um, uh, the Devil's Advocate, which is my, my latest book, um, has some quite serious issues in it of white supremacy and the death penalty. And all of that, I have to say, is largely based on reality uh, and very much the reality of the situation now. And um, uh, some readers pushed back at that and said they didn't like that. Uh, and I don't really know why, to be honest. Um, I suspect I do know why, you know, um, but to me, it's, that's, that's not a political issue. I'm not really a political writer. Um, if someone, you know, says, oh, you're being very unfair to the white supremacists, I'm, I, I'm quite happy to say, well, look, I don't think I'm being unfair to them. I think I'm portraying them, uh, you know, as they are in reality. And if you think I've portrayed them unfairly, well, I'm very sorry about that, but there's nothing I can do. Um, uh, and that's fair enough. This, but I, you know, I don't get involved in, in fights about it. If people want to feel that way, that's entirely up to them. But it was I noticed there were some reviews that which had that, which were not happy than I had looked at the death penalty and how um, certain... That has been politicized in America. It's, it's really the death penalty is driven by personality in America. Um, and the, the the white supremacist element of it, people didn't like that. But sure, there's the that, but that was like a tiny. I've seen two or three little things like that online. But I'm I'm quite happy with the book, to be honest. I think I, all the research is there, and if people read, there's an author's note at the end of the book, which um, a lot of people find very shocking because it states, "We'll see what you've read." Actually, there's stuff like that has really happened and worse, and here it all is. Um, so uh, uh, that's that's okay. Some people won't like that. That's fine. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, what was your favourite first when you became a writer? Seeing my book on a shelf at a bookshop. I imagine that it's a lot of writers would say that, you know. Um, that was the thing for me. It, it, it real, it was, I'd thought about self-publishing, you know, when I was starting off, but, when, but especially when I wasn't getting anywhere. But if you do that, you don't see your, shelf, your book on a shelf in a bookshop. But seeing a real book in a real bookshop on a, on a shelf, you know, that's very, very, that was very, very special. I'll never have I can imagine. Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> um, probably Elmore Leonard. Um, who, I, I know some people who, who, who met him you know, briefly. Um, and some people who, who knew him a little bit. But yeah, he's just, he's an incredible, he was just an incredible writer. Um, and it's, especially his proves, the way he wrote was just like nobody else. It's just unbelievable. And uh, great, great stories as well, and very well, hugely adapted. I think there were something, something like 40 different movie and TV adaptations of Elmer And lovely guy from Detroit. And if you ever hear him, there are you, there's not a lot on Elmore Leonard speaking online. 
But if you ever hear him speaking, he's just he's just fascinating and captivating. He has a lovely mellifluous rhythm to his voice and his tones, and a very down-to-earth man who was never really captivated by Hollywood. In fact, wrote books tearing Hollywood apart. Uh, for example, like um, Get Shorty, uh, which is just, you know, it, is, it really pokes fun at the whole thing. But a very down-to-earth man, very nice man, um, very funny and full of stories. For example, he used to say uh, his books were very popular in the U.S. prison system, um, but only really among uh, crack dealers. Crack dealers like Delmore Leonard used to get lots of, lots of letters from crack dealers saying, I love your book, man. Uh, but the, the heroin dealers mostly preferred <laughs> another author. I wouldn't say it was. And the crack dealers are saying, we're talking to the heroin dealers and trying to get them into your stuff because we think they'd like it more. It's more genuine. So he was a, a brilliant, brilliant man, brilliant character. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to have met him. What do you enjoy doing when you're not writing? Um, I, reading. Uh, I, I don't watch much TV, very little TV. I'm watching the Australian Celebrity Apprentice at the moment with Ross Noblin. If me and Mrs. Kavner are watching that, I'm really enjoying it. So I don't watch much TV. Um, I like reading. Uh, I love, um, obviously, spend time with the kids, doing a bit of Lego. And I like um, uh, video games as well. So I've been playing the, uh, last year, The Last of Us 2, which is just an incredible thing. They're making The Last of Us uh, as a TV series. And a, a, as a piece of art, it, it's one of the one piece of art that blew me away completely last year. The, the story is incredible. And it sort of transcends. That's just a terrible thing to say. If anyone who uses the word transcends, normally in trouble. But it transcends what a video game is. And it makes you think like nothing else. And it's a real emotional gut punch. So I loved that last year. Um, and I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 at the moment. So I'm riding around the old west of my horse doing good deeds and, you know, sucking snake bite out of people's legs and doing all sorts of stuff. So that, that, that keeps me busy and out of trouble. <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you like to go? Oh, goodness me. Um, that's very interesting. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm quite, I'm sort of quite, I was quite happy at the time I was living in now, till about two years ago. I thought this is the best, this is great. But uh, I don't know. I maybe like to go back to the 80s for a while um, because it seems sort of a simpler, slightly simpler time then in the 1980s. And uh, there was a lot, you know, or maybe the 70s. Lots of really good movies in the 70s. 70s was a great time for movies. So 1970s Los Angeles, maybe. Um, so I can go and watch lots of incredible movies. Yes, yeah, I'd like to go back to the 80s, um, but as an old, as older than I was when I was in the 80s, just for the music. That's all I want. There's lots of music. I don't. I, the clothes sort of frightens me in the 80s. Uh, there's lots of terrifying <laughs> clothes and terrifying hair. And I can't do hair anyway, so I'd be stuffed. 70s seems slightly simpler 
you know, and lots of good rock music as well. So yeah, maybe the 70s. Good um, Who is your first celebrity crush? I never had that. I died and worked like that, to be honest. <laughs> Just, I never really, you know, thought anything about that. I, I, it just doesn't occur to me to have that. There's lots of celebrities I sort of, you know, were, was uh, fascinated by and enamored with, but never in, in that sort of way. Never a crush, really. I, I, I can't say that. No. Uh, what's, where's the funniest or strangest place you've ever woke up? Oh, God. Um, oh, well, I <laughs> okay. Uh, so I once woke up in a greenhouse, uh, <laughs> which was the ter terrifying experience. It, was, it wasn't really a greenhouse. It was a, it was a very, very large conservatory in a very old house um, uh, in, in Dublin. And I was with a few friends and we're at some guy's house who's having a party. And I thought it'd be a great idea to, to lie, I'll go and lie in, in the conservatory and look at the second, look at the stars when I'm sleeping, they're all sleeping over. But I woke up in the middle of the night and all sorts of plants and stuff had fell on me. So in the night, so I just woke up and it was just greenery in front of me and I pulled these leaves back and it was just a blue sky and I had no idea where I was then for a while, for a long time. But yeah. That, that was pretty strange. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> um, if I was to ask your darling wife and those closest to you what your most annoying habit is, what would they say? My most what habit? Annoying. Annoying habit. That's easy. I'm always asking everybody, are, are you okay? So two or three times a, a, a day at least, I'll, I'll go in your room, are you all right? you okay? And they go, stop asking me if I'm okay, I'm all right. But I do it all the time. It's, it, that, that is just, that is a real psychological thing, problem I have. All my family, all the time, I'm always going to, you all right? You okay? You all right there? And that's just, that's just what I do. It's very annoying, but I can't help it. That's a nice thing, though. It could be worse. Could be worse. Yeah, see, you care. What's wrong with that? Exactly. That's, see, I care too much. That's the problem with me. Exactly. So, would you like to tell everyone about your new book or your latest? Yes. So, the new book is The Devil's Advocate which is out in paperback. And in this one, Eddie Flynn is off to Alabama with his team to defend a young man who's accused of a murder he didn't commit. And it's a death penalty case, Eddie's first death penalty case. And he comes up against a district attorney called Randall Korn, who has sent um, more people to death row than any other prosecutor. America, he's sort of obsessed with it, and the book explores that. And in this little town in Alabama, everyone thinks um, Eddie's client is guilty. Uh, but there's another character there called simply known as the pastor, who seems to know exactly what's going on in the case, and he's the real killer um, of this young uh, lady 
but you don't really know what his plan is or why he's interfering in the trial. But there's all sorts of, of shenanigans and murders and cons and all sorts of things. And it's good. It's buy it cheap. It's cheap. Buy it. It's cheap. I already have it. You'll, there we are. Thank you very much, Donald. I have <laughs> one seal today. <laughs> yeah, it's the only one I haven't read yet. But like I was saying, you know, blog tours and stuff. I will get around to it soon. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and do you know what you're writing next yet? I do. Um, the next book uh, is an Annie Flynn book and it's done. And in a, maybe another week or two, I'll be announcing what that book is. And But I can't do it at the moment. My lips are sealed. I will be shot or, or killed instantly if I reveal something for, for that. <laughs> but it will. It, it's an Eddie Flynn one. He's back in New York. And uh, there's a very bad man who's after him. And that's all I can say. <laughs> um, well, you may be relieved to know that I don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. No, no, that's been, this has been very enjoyable. Thank you very much. The time has flown by. You're very welcome. So would you like to tell everyone uh, where they can get your books from and where they can find out more about you if they would like to? Sure. Um, uh, I have a website, stevecavanaughauthor.com, which I update sporadically. Uh, you can find out a bit more about me. You can get my books anywhere. Um, books are sold. Uh, and you can start with any book you like. But you buy this one because it's the one we're flogging at the moment, please. And <laughs> after that, you can buy whatever, you, whatever ones in the series you like. But you should be able to get it from all the supermarkets or Amazon or your local independent bookstore and support them. Thank you. Thank you.